Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? I want to take a brief moment, brief moment and welcome all of our first-time viewers or guests at our Bandit campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, our online campus here at Greenwood. Can we give it up for all of our first-time attenders, watchers? So glad that you are our guest today. Hopefully the experience thus far has been a positive one for you. I uh, also want to take a moment really quick and uh, welcome everyone in the foyer here at uh, the, the Greenwood campus. Say hi to the, the folks out there in the lobby. Hi guys, we see you. We'll get you in here soon enough uh, before, you know, after COVID and everything. Uh, but anyway... Uh, my name is Danny, and we're starting a brand new series today called Made to Give, and uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's going to be a very challenging series. It's going to be a serious series, but I also think it's going to be a fulfilling series. A couple of months ago, I was listening to a podcast called the Tim Ferriss Podcast. It's not necessarily a spiritual podcast, but I really find value from it. He talks a lot about personal development, and he was interviewing Hugh Jackman. Any Hugh Jackman fans out there? X, the, you know, the X-Man guy, and he's also, he was also recently in the, uh, the circus movie. What was that called? Uh, yeah, The Greatest Showman. It's a funny, funny story about that movie real quick. Um, when it first came out, my brothers were in town, or maybe I was in New York. I can't remember if they were here. I think we were there. And uh, we we're trying to figure out, you know, to take the whole family to a movie, what can we do? We've got three children. My brother Jason has three children. My brother Jimmy has three children. You know, it's tough to get everybody to go to the same movie, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm like talking to my brothers. You know, my one brother is a, um, a lieutenant in, a, in the New York City Fire Department. My other brother is a high school principal in New York City. And so they're like baseball jock kind of guys, okay? They, they got really difficult jobs in New York City. And, and so I'm like, I'm convincing them that, that we should go watch Hugh Jackman's new movie about the circus because he's the X-Man, you know, this is going to be great, this is going to be awesome, it's going to be intense, you know, um, and, and so they're like, no, we don't, we don't want to go see it, but I finally convinced them to go see it, only to come to find out it was a musical, <laughs> and when the, when the movie started, they both sat forward and looked down at me at the row, and they're like, are you kidding me, but we were already committed, so I owe them one about that one. Anyway, he was great in that movie. He just, you gotta have to, you gotta like musicals. So Hugh Jackman being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. And Tim likes to ask all of his guests, you know, what books are you reading right now that are really challenging you? And so when he asked Hugh that, that uh, and by the way, Hugh Jackman, I didn't realize he was, he's a really thoughtful guy. Like he takes his life very seriously. He's in his committed marriage. And um, uh, so he's, he, he mentioned this book called The Second Mountain. Now at that particular time, I just wrote it down in my journal, didn't, and I forgot about it. And then about a month later, I was coming out of Starbucks, go figure, and I was walked past McAllister's right here in town in Greenwood, and there was a guy outside reading a book, and he had it open, and he looked real serious, and he's taking notes, and I'm like, ooh, what's that, you know? And I'm kind of a social guy, 
you know what I'm saying? I, I like to talk to strangers. So I just said, hey, what you reading? And, uh, and he closes the book and he says, oh, I'm reading this book called The Second Mountain. And immediately I remembered that was the book that Hugh Jackman said was really, you know, encouraging him and helping him. So I went and picked it up. Got into the introduction. I was like, man, this thing is great. You know, I like the way this guy writes. He's, he reminds me of like a modern day sort of C.S. Lewis kind of writer. And, uh, and come to find out, by the way, I didn't know this, but David Brooks, the author, is one of the nation's leading writers and commentators. I recognized his photo in the, in the jacket of the book. Uh, I saw, I've seen him on PBS, the News Hour. He's on Meet the Press. And uh, I was like, okay, I know who this guy is. So anyway, I start getting into the book. Chapter one's great. Chapter two's great. Chapter three's great. Chapter four, I am gripped. And the reason why I was gripped is because I have a, I mean, I don't have the biggest heart in the world, but I have a heart for people. Like I care about the, the, the condition of, of people's lives. The, the, the reason I'm a pastor is because I, I want to improve not just my, the own, my own quality of living, but I want to improve the quality of the lives of the people around me. And so in chapter four, he starts going through the, the condition of, of the American life. He sa- and he says that since 1999, the suicide rate in, in America has gone up 30%. From 2006 to, th- to, to 2016, the suicide rate of students between the ages of 10 and 17 has gone up 70%. And I'm reading this and I'm, 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 I'm like, what? what? This is incredible. He said that on average, every single year, and this is kind of heavy, and I know, I know I don't want to be too heavy or discouraging. We're already like overwhelmed with 2020. I don't want to like add to it, but this is like, a, by the way, he wrote this. This came out before COVID. This is pre-COVID. 45,000 people every single year, pre-COVID, commit suicide in America. And like, how is that possible in this, this developed, the most developed, most free country in the world? People are just killing themselves. I'm thinking about, I've seen stadiums full of people, like 20,000 people. I've seen every seat. Have you ever seen a stadium filled with 20, 25,000 people? Picture two full stadiums of people every single year just killing themselves. On top of that, he said that 72,000 people a year die from drug overdose and opioid overdose, which is sort of a form of suicide. And then he said the CDC has found that for the third straight year in a row, the average lifespan of an American has shortened. And I'm gripped. And if I'm honest, I'm, 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 I can still feel the, like, the heaviness of it. Like, what is going on? Why are people so incredibly down and discouraged and depressed and anxious in our country, in the most developed country, most free country in the world? What's happening? And so he gets into it, and I don't have time to talk about all the reasons and, that he cites for the current condition of the average American, but I can tell you this. He talks about that there's a crisis of meaning. People are struggling to find meaning in life. People are struggling to find purpose in life. People are struggling with alienation, feeling like they can't trust anybody. But at the root cause in chapter four, he says, you know what the biggest cause of is? is We're suffering from a crisis of loneliness in this country. We're suffering from a crisis of loneliness. He cites Vivek Murthy, who was the former Surgeon General under President Barack Obama and then underneath President Trump. He writes this in the Harvard Business Review. During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. 
And then in chapter four, he goes on to describe what he, where he believes this loneliness comes from or what the cause of this loneliness is. And he calls it something, something called hyper-individualism. And he said it started back in the 1960s when, our, when the culture back then embraced this idea of hyper-individualism, which, by the way, he explains was a solution to many of the problems back in the 1960s. You know, when we started to say, hey, we need to look at individual rights and the right to vote and the right for this and the right for that and human, we need to be free. And, and a lot of that, the, the individualism that was focused on in the 1960s was a solution to some of the major problems. But then he says, as things have gone on and as decades have progressed, this hyper-individualism has gotten even stronger and more focused. And it's now causing destruction and harm to us. And he says that it's tearing apart the fabric of our society. In the book, he, he, talks about, he talks about it like this. He says hyper-individualism has led to a society where people live further and further apart from one another socially. And again, this is before COVID. And then we're having to like socially distant, emotionally, and even physically. We were, we were created by God to, to connect but our culture has moved away from connectivity into hyper-individualism. He talks about how in the 1940s and 50s, the, the, the mindset of the average American was, we're all in this together. And that was a, in large part because of World War II. And we had to fight Germany and, 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 and Nazism and all that stuff. And we had to come together. And, and, and we felt that way as Americans. And then, but then after the 1960s, we all kind of went, nah. Every man for himself. We're not all in this together anymore. It's all about individual rights. It's all, and again, that solves some of the problems back then, but now the pendulum, he argues, has swung too far the other way. And now the end product is loneliness and a lack of meaning and a lack of purpose and feelings of alienation and a lack of trust. Did you know in the 1940s and 50s, 75% of Americans trusted the government? Can you imagine? You know what the stat is today? Most recent stat is probably lower now after what we just went through, right? 25% of Americans today say they trust the government. Yeah, no kidding. There's lots of reasons not to trust the government. We are all in this thing together. Went as now every man for himself trusts nobody. There are consequences to that. And he argues that the so-called deaths of despair are a consequence of it. Listen to what he says in the book. Heavy statement. And I don't mean to be heavy. I just want to talk about why are we, what is this series about? He says, the reason American lives are shorter today is the increase of so-called deaths of despair, suicide, drug overdose, liver problems, and so on. Where do they come from? What's the cause? And those, in turn, are caused by the social isolation that is all around us. We think we're more connected than we've ever been because of social media, but we've never been more disconnected because we're made to be in actual relationship with each other. And so as a pastor, you know, in, in America, this is where we minister, and I know we have folks watching in different countries, and, and we're glad that you're watching in. This is our mission field here, and maybe you have some of the same problems in your country. What do we do? How can we be part of the solution? For starters, we can talk about it. We can read. We can study. We can talk about what authors are saying, people who are studying society and bring it to light and look into the scriptures and see if we can help. The Second Mountain. It's not necessarily a Christian book, 
But I'll tell you what, he's done his homework. He's a Jewish guy who you could argue based on what he said in the book, did become a Christ follower, but it's a little vague, but that's not the point. He studied Christ, he studied Christianity, and he studied what would fix, fix our world today. The second mountain. The second mountain implies that there is a first mountain. A first mountain that has been created by decades of hyper-individualism. What is the first mountain before we talk about what the second mountain is? He says this in the book. The first mountain is about finding happiness through personal fulfillment. If, if our culture has taught us to focus on yourself, this hyper-individualistic approach to finding happiness, then what we're going to do, and this is what we've believed, then in order for me to be happy, in order for me and you to be satisfied, I must go achieve things for myself. Life is about me. Life is about my goals and my dreams and how I look and life is about my hair and life is about where I go to school and life is about how much money I make and how many cars I have and life is about me, me, me. And we now live in the selfie culture, don't we? Where, where many of us can't go a day without taking a photo. And then before we post it, we, sit, we ask five of our friends, is, that, is, he, is it cute? Is it cute? Because I don't want to post it unless it's cute. Because we've got to get those likes, you know what I mean? I mean, we live in a culture where we take pictures of our stupid face every day. And I just need to say it. It's unbelievable. I'm telling you, 20 years from now, all you selfie takers, you know, younger, most of us are in the younger generation, you are going to look back on, on, on your childhood and you are going to think, what an idiot I was. <laughs> A million pictures of my face and then I would share it as if people care? This is insanity what we're doing to ourselves. We live in the, this is, but that's the result of hyper-individualism. I am the product. It's me. It's all about me. How do I look? And I'm telling you, it doesn't work. Happiness. Let's talk about happiness because he makes a big deal about the happiness and, and, and what the other option is. And I'll talk about what the other option is in just a second. Happiness is a, is a, a brief momentary emo, uh, emotional uh, experience. A good, brief emotional experience. But it's fleeting. It's like when you buy something new, or you get a new pair of shoes, or you come, you know, you just got your hair done, or your nails done, or whatever it is, or you just bought something on sale, and you're like, man, this is great. I'm happy because my team won, or I got a new purse, or I got a new car, or something, or a new video game, or whatever it is. And then it's over, and that's why you have to go do what? You have to go buy another one. Because that feeling that you had of happiness based on something that you achieved, or you did, or you bought, or the deal you got, it's gone. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. Happiness based on personal achievement. That's what the first mountain is all about. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because you have to keep repeating yourself. By the way, this is how drug addicts and addic addictions start, right? Even at the, at the physical level. It's fleeting. That feeling comes and that feeling goes and you got to do it again. But this time you got to do it a little bit more. you got to drink a little bit more, take a few more pills to get that same high. And so the addiction builds. Happiness through personal achievement or personal feelings. It doesn't work. Why else doesn't it work? Because you were made for so much more. You were made actually to find something called joy. We'll talk about what joy is in a second. But you were made for something deeper that actually comes from looking outside of yourself. 
Have you ever wondered why space is so vast and large? I mean, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible when you really think about space and the galaxies and the universe, and it's just mind-blowing. Have you ever wondered why it's so vast and large? You have to wonder. In fact, if you've never wondered, wonder today. Tonight, go outside and look up and just say, what is that all about? What, why? Why am I so absolutely tiny compared to all of this? There's a message there. <laughs> There's a message. We are to look outside of ourselves and be drawn into this thing called wonder, drawn into this thing called worship. We are to find fulfillment and satisfaction outside of, why are there seven billion of us? It's so that we could look at others, people, and admire and respect and serve and give. The sheer number of human beings on this planet is a sermon in itself. Here's what the message is. It's not about you. Stop taking selfies. <laughs> now I could pray right now and the sermon could be over and we'd all be like, okay, that was pretty good. But there's more, there's more, there's more. That's first mountain stuff. That's, that's climbing the first. Life is about you getting yours, getting your respect, right? Getting your achievements, getting your money, getting your car, whatever. It doesn't work. We have to move to this thing that David Brooks calls the second mountain. What is the second mountain in your notes? The second mountain is about finding joy, which is different from happiness, through serving others. It's about finding this pervasive sense of well-being. And I like to define joy that way because it, it is a good emotion, but it's, it's long-lasting. It could even be permanent in some situations if the life is lived very well. But it's this long-lasting emotion, state of mind, of well-being that kind of pervades your whole life regardless of what's going on outside of you. Where does it come from? It comes from serving and giving and looking outside of yourself. You say, man, you haven't even opened the Bible yet. Is this even a sermon? Well, here we go, here we go, here we go. Where does he get this idea? Well, he gets it through his research. And again, he's not necessarily like a, uh, saying he's a Christ follower or anything like that, although I, I do believe he is. He's collecting data from all different places and all different authors. He's collecting data from, from the Hindu religion, the Buddhist religion, from Christianity. He's looking at examples of modern day people living in this country, giving their life away, finding joy. But at the end of the book, he talks about how really this is about what Jesus said. And Jesus put it like this. In Matthew chapter 10. If you cling to your life, if you make your life about you, if you live the selfie life, he's actually got a chapter in there called the selfie life. If, if, you, if you make all life all about yourself, finding happiness through personal fulfillment, you will, say it with me, you will lose it. Doesn't work that way. But if you, say it with me, if you give up, if you give up your life for me, you will find it. In other words, if you want to find what life is all about, you want to find the satisfaction and the happiness and the joy that you were created for, you have to actually do the opposite. You have to give your life away. But that's tough to do. Why? Because we are inherently selfish. Are you aware enough, self-aware enough to admit that? That you came out of the birth canal utterly selfish? Like I am and I know it. And, and I've seen it happen three times. My wife gave birth three times. That baby comes out of there, 
after you clean it all up, it's kind of cute, right? And then what does it do? It wants what it wants. Day after day, after day, after day, it wants what it wants. It doesn't want what you want. It wants what it wants, right? And guess what? If you don't make a choice to move out of, I want what I want, then you're going to be a 35-year-old who's going, I want what I want. And then you're going to be a 45-year-old going, man, I didn't get it. It's not my way. And you're going to get a divorce. And, and you're going to think happiness is in another, you know, finding another. And then you're going to be 55, and you're going to be a selfish narcissist. The same way you came out of that birth canal. And then you'll be 65. And nothing will change. It's tough to give up the self. It's tough to, to die to having your own way. But that's the second mountain climb. In fact, I wrote it in your notes like this. The second mountain climb starts with surrendering yourself. What does that mean? Surrendering to God that I don't have to have my way. Life isn't about me. I'm not gonna try to find personal happiness by doing everything I want to do, eating what I wanna eat, going where I wanna go, spending money on myself, doing this, doing this, every, having everything go, my, I'm, I'm gonna give that up. I'm gonna give that pursuit up. See, the, the word, the phrase good news is not necessarily a, a, a New Testament phrase. It just simply means or, or gospel, it just simply means good news. There's lots of gospels out there. The gospel of the United States of America is personal happiness through personal achievement. And we have believed the wrong gospel, many of us. And that has led to a loss of meaning, a loss of purpose, a, a, a crisis of loneliness in our country. There's a different gospel out there, and here it is, ready? You will find everything you're looking for, deep joy, Lasting happiness by giving yourself away, by dying to yourself. Listen to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Luke chapter nine. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, here's what I want you to do, ready? If you should decide to become my disciple, you must say with me, give up your own way. Let's do it again. Give up your own way. Oh, this is, that doesn't sound very American. I know, it's because the gospel of America is go get yours. Do it your way. I did it my way, right? That's what the, the famous song says. Jesus says, no, actually, if you want to find life, you've got to give up having your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. What did the cross do to Jesus? Tough question. What did it do to him? It did what? It killed him. Jesus was murdered on a cross. Now, is he asking you and I to, to murder ourselves? No, he's not saying that. So then what does he mean by take up our cross daily? He's simply saying, die to the right to have your own way. Give it up and follow me. That's what he says. The path to true joy, deep and lasting happiness, is giving yourself away, practicing generosity. And he says, follow me. Okay, okay, okay. That's... But Jesus, follow you where? Where are we going? If I'm gonna give up my agenda and what I wanna do and my will and if I'm gonna surrender that, if I'm gonna crucify my flesh and where are we going? It's a great question. You know what Jesus would say to you today? He would say toward people. We're gonna move outside of yourself I put six 
and a half, seven billion people on this planet, and we're going to move towards them. See, when you open up the New Testament, and I hope you do, <clears throat> I hope you do, you see Jesus moving towards people. Rich people, poor people, religious people, <clears throat> excuse me, not religious people, uh, people who are struggling with a disability, people who are completely healthy, men, women, old people, young people. Jesus was always moving towards people. And he says, I want you to follow me and we're gonna, we're gonna invest our lives in people. At one point, Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to those in need and you will lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Be rich towards God. Invest in people. People will last forever. In one particular instance, Jesus invests in a guy named Zacchaeus. I talk about him often in Luke chapter 19. He's a great example. He's this really filthy rich thief. He is the, the chief tax collector, right? He's a bad guy. He is hated. Jesus goes to his house. Zacchaeus has this transformational moment. He receives the forgiveness of, the, of his sins. He wants to change his life. And after he does, Jesus makes this statement. It's sort of his mission statement for his life. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 19. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. What does it mean to, mean? What does it mean to be lost? out of place, disconnected from God. Jesus has come to connect those who were out of place back into a relationship with his father. That's why he came. And then he says, come, follow me. We're gonna go connect people back to God. We're gonna go invest our lives into people. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to what? What does it say? And to give. To give his life as a ransom for many. It's as if we were kidnapped by the evil one, being held at a ransom payment, and he comes down, and he dies on the cross, and he pays the price for you and I to be redeemed. Jesus lived a second mountain life. He gave his life away. And he was the most joyous being in the universe. And then he says, come on, follow me. We're gonna leave the selfie life. We're gonna leave the first mountain life. We're gonna start climbing the second mountain and we're gonna invest in people. Katie Sparks is someone that used to be on staff here <clears throat> at the Franklin campus. And she left our staff to go be the executive, executive director of an organization called Kick It. Anybody heard of Kick It? Kids in Crisis? And uh, she's leading a fantastic organization, has a great staff of people, great board of uh, directors there. And what they do is they essentially try to help uh, high school students uh, and, and, and older kids from 16 to 25 who are homeless in Johnson County. And you wouldn't believe how many there actually are. Uh, not homeless in the sense that you'd see homeless people in, in downtown Indianapolis, but homeless in the sense that they're sleeping in parks, uh, they, they're sleeping in friends, on friends' couches, um, and they just don't have a home. And so Kick It is an organization that helps these particular students, kids, uh, get back into school, put a resume together, find a job, get an automobile, uh, get, up, get a place to live. And they're doing amazing work, Katie Sparks says, with this organization. And I often think, well, she's so young. Why, why is she, she, she needs to go have a career. She needs to go make money. She needs to go, why is she doing, why is she investing her life this way? Well, she's climbing the second mountain. She's investing her life in people who are in need. And this last year, our youth ministry, across the board, all of our youth ministries at all of our campuses raised $13,000 
and gave it to Kick It this last, this last weekend. Isn't that incredible? <clears throat> that $13,000 that our youth ministry raised uh, supports one student for an entire year with housing and resumes and all the things that they need. That's what I mean when I say a second mountain climb. I'm talking about finding joy. And if you meet Katie, if you know her, how many of you met Katie? She's a ball of joy. She's a ball of energy. She's giving her life away. See, you and I were created for something much more than happiness. Through personal achievement. We were created for joy. A permanent, if I could say that word, or long-lasting pervasive sense of well-being that comes to us in a way you wouldn't think. It comes to us as we serve others, as we look outside of ourselves. It's, it's just, it's, you actually have to have faith to believe this because it's not what our country has taught us. It's not the messaging of our, of our nation, the American dream, go get yours, happiness will come as you get yours. That's actually a toxic message. And the ev- listen, the evidence is everywhere. How many of you know someone who has committed suicide? Raise your hand. Yeah. The evidence is everywhere because we're believing the wrong message. What if you decided to believe the right message? What if it started with you? What if you said, man, I'm gonna pursue joy by giving? I would, what if you said, I made, what if you recognize the reality? I, I was made to give. Jesus put it like this. It is more blessed. There's more joy in giving than there is receiving. Do you believe that? This is something you have to believe. You have to take a step of faith and say, I actually believe that the source of my happiness and the source of my lasting joy is by serving the person next to me. I love the way David Brooks said it, and I'll wrap up here in the book. He said it like this. The people who radiate a permanent joy have given themselves over to lives of deep and loving commitment. Watch this. Giving has become their nature. Think think of it. It's become their character, the type of person that they are. Who? People of permanent joy. This is, a, this is who you can become. How? Watch this. Little by little, they've made, they have made their souls incandescent. I love that statement because it puts the ball in your hands today. Little by little, one encouraging text message, one act of service in your home, one encouraging statement to a brother or a sister. One, little by little, we turn ourselves into light bulbs, which is exactly what Jesus said we were supposed to be. You are the light of the world. What is that? It's the joy shining through us that has come to us by giving our lives away. This is, this is the message that can change your life. I don't know about you, but I want to be an incandescent light bulb. I want to shine bright. Sometimes there's dark moments, <laughs> but I want to overcome my selfishness which is a choice to give up myself. I don't want to be the the 55-year-old selfish narcissist because that's where we're all headed. Hey, that's where you're headed. We don't stay the same. We get better or we get worse. Agreed? Agreed? 
You say, how do, how do those old people become old and grumpy? Well, because they get worse over time. <laughs> Nobody stays the same, right? So we got some, we got some you know, 15, 16-year-olds that are caught up in this action right here. You know, and, and we need to work our way out of that. And then there's some 20-year-olds are still doing that. And, but but there, there are some who are not. They're starting to climb the second mountain. And then there are some 30-year-olds who are, who are starting to climb the second mountain. But there's not too many. There's not too many. There's some who are realizing this. And then there are more, a little bit, some more 40-year-olds 40, 40 up there. Some more, right? And that's, that's good. We need some more of those. And then, you know who we really need? We really need like 50-somethings. Who, are, who have climbed the second mountain, and they're not all the way up, but they're like three-quarters of the way up, and, and they are just beaming, incandescent light bulbs, just like, just, just light going everywhere. And then all of us 20, 20s and 30s, and, and, and those of us who are young, we're like, oh, that's what I should be doing. I should be giving. I should be serving. I should be sacrificing. And then there should be like an even bigger group of 65-year-olds up there. They're like even high. They're almost at the top. And they're shining so bright, they're like the star at the top of the Christmas tree. And they're going, it's great up here. You know, come on up. And all of us younger people should be like, I'm coming. I'm trying. I'm so selfish. I'm a narcissist. I'm a selfie. You know, we, we, we should be wanting to leave that behind. That's what I, maybe that's a dumb image, but that's what I have. I want to be one of those 65-year-olds, you know? I want to be, and up, I want to be one of those 75-year-olds, you know, just, just bright, shining so bright because I've just, I've just given, 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 given. That is second mountain living. And the choice is yours. Which mountain are you on? Which mountain are you climbing? Personal achievement? Do you hear what LeBron James says after he won the title? I'm not a LeBron fan, surprise, surprise. I mean, I think Michael Jordan's much better, and that's the main reason, but, but, okay, it's not about that, okay. LeBron's an incredible player, but not the best. But anyway, not my point. But did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? He said, after he won the title, he said, I just want my blank respect. That's first mountain language, folks. And, and hey, LeBron's younger, and he's one of those guys in his 30s, and he needs to look up and see those guys in their 50s and 60s, and he needs to, they need to be like, come on, LeBron, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. What mountain are you on? I want to try to get on that second mountain. How about you? Now, as we wrap up, you know, no one, no one lived a second mountain life better than Jesus because no one gave more than Jesus. He gave his life. In fact, Jesus actually said it just like this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, say with me, he gave. He was the most generous. God is the most generous being in the universe. He gave us his one and only son. That whoever believes in him, has faith in him, puts their trust in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. I've heard it said like this. You're never more like God than when you're giving. You say, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more a godly person. Start giving. giving. Give your time. Give your resources. Give your ear. Give your hands. Serve somebody. Do something. God gave. He gave himself for you. Now, at this church, what we're trying to do is we're trying to lead the way and, 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 and give you opportunities to give. And so we focus on two things, your time and your resources. 
your time and your resources. We challenge you all the time to join the impact team. And if you look around, you see a bunch of people in red shirts, not like this, this is orange, but red shirts that say, how can I help? Ask me to help. You know what that is? That's the impact team. They've chosen to give an hour of their time to serve at one of our campuses or online or with the children or parking or serving coffee. We wanna challenge you, jump on the impact team. You can text the word team to 65248 and you can jump on. And all that is is just a way to demonstrate generosity. It's a, way, it's a practical step coming out of this sermon. How do I do it? Well, I'm gonna give an hour of my time. And then also financially, we challenge you. Give, your, give a portion of your finances. That's a way that you can express your generosity. A couple years ago, we did the $5 challenge. Anybody remember that? We called it the latte challenge. We called it the Marlboro challenge. Remember I had a pack of cigarettes? Some of you don't remember that, that's okay. But I thought it resonated with some of you smokers. Anyway, <laughs> it's like, man, if I go buy a pack of cigarettes, I can get five bucks to my church. And so I challenge you to do the $5 challenge. Many of you did that. Then last year I did that. We doubled it to the $10 challenge. Many of you jumped on board, you did the $10 challenge. So this year we're gonna do something crazy. We're gonna do the $15 challenge. No, we're not. We're not gonna do that. That's, that's it. If you wanna do 15, that's fine. But we, we just wanna encourage you to take a portion of your income and give it. And what will that do here at the church? Well, that's gonna help us launch campuses. That's gonna help us feed kids in our community. That's gonna help us partner with our, uh, our partners in Nicaragua and Haiti and Colombia and Africa. We're just gonna give it, we're just gonna give it. We're gonna serve, we're gonna be more of a blessing to our community. We're gonna help foster kids, adopt kids. We're just gonna give it away. You can text the word give to 65248. You can set up a reoccurring gift. And that's important to say. I'm not talking about a one-time gift. Anybody can do that because it's emotional, it's, it's okay, I should do it, maybe you feel guilty, whatever. I'm talking about a consistent lifestyle of generosity. So I would, I would challenge you to go to 65248, text that word, and set up a reoccurring gift. That's what my wife and I do. We've taken a huge step to say, you know what? We're gonna trust God, not with $5 a week, not with $10 a week, but with 10% of our income. Every time we get paid, we're gonna give 10% of our income away. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. It teaches to trust God, live on 90, give away 10. And so we just trust God with that. Maybe you're ready to step up and do the tithe. That's called the tithe. Text the word give to 65248 if you're ready to take that step. As we wrap up today, nobody gave more than God. Nobody gave more than Jesus. He said, I've given my life for you because I love you. My overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love for you. I will chase you down. I will find you. I will leave the 99 because I love you. Jesus would say to you today, I, I've given my life to you. I've given my life for you. I've died on the cross for your sins. Will you trust him today? Will you accept his gift of grace? If you'd like to do that today, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. You can close your eyes, you can bow your head wherever you are, whatever campus you're at, wherever you're watching. Reach out in faith today and trust Christ. Take these words and make them your own. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for paying the penalty I could not pay, for canceling the debt held against me. I place my faith in you today. I trust you. Wash me of my sin. Cleanse me. Make me your child. And from this day forward, help me to climb the second mountain, 
to find joy through serving others. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. If you haven't figured out by now, we like to text words here. So if you just prayed that prayer, we would ask you to text the word SAVE to 65248. We've got a little starter kit for you here on what it looks like to be a Christ follower. There's a Bible in here. There's a mug in here to say congratulations and some instructions on how to get connected to the church. One more time, guys. Can we give God glory? Amen. Woo!